not under law, but uh, grace. We're not under law. We're under grace, aren't we? Well, that's the title of the article we shall be reading together and having conversation about in our sermon session, our sermon session, our podcast session. I'm getting tongue twisted here this a.m. How are you doing? You doing okay? Doing all right? We are Thursday, are we not? I think so. And on Thursdays, well, we have ourselves a um, topical conversation. And the topic at hand is God's grace, law, grace, all that kind of stuff. And what the, uh, what uh, the, um, how should I say, uh, the umbrella of Christendom believes. And what is the truth? What does the Bible teach? Stuff like that. Hope you'll stick around. Put your seatbelt on. You may need a helmet. Things like that. <laughs> Stefan Maia is my name. AddedSouls.com is the website. Friends, listen. By all means, consider subscribing to the channel. Giving a thumbs up. All that like stuff. Interaction works. Share far and wide on your media platforms. Leave a comment. What's your name? How are you doing? Where are you from? Got a question? By all means, let us know. All that kind of good stuff. And also, the opportunity for you is available to support the work. The Added Souls work through the Maya family. And uh, uh, the work we are involved with as we labor along the East Coast Church of Christ. You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can sign up over there. It's free to sign up. You can choose to support monthly, and you'll have exclusive content. You can also send a donation through PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com. And again, you can check out the work we are doing over at eastcoastchurchofchrist.com or on Facebook, East Coast Church of Christ page. So we're going to open up an article from our friends once again over at apologeticspress.org. And uh, the title of the article is called... Uh, not law, well, let me see here, not under law, but grace. Not under law, but grace. And I'm going to put that article here on the screen as we screen share for those of you who are listening to the visual uh, podcast session, visual side of the podcast session. And uh, we're just going to get into it and talk about this stuff. I mean, it's, it's a bit earlier than my usual and I was not expecting that today yet again, since yesterday it was 9 a.m. and today again 9 a.m. But typically, from Monday to Friday, it's 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Today, the reason I'm going a bit earlier is because the in-laws are coming in for a visit for a few days, and we got to get things organized and orderly, and I just needed to go a bit earlier. And that's, well, that's why. But usually, if you look at the itinerary, you can find the themes for each day from Monday to, uh, to Friday, and it's 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. But you'll catch me in that vicinity, if you will. <laughs> Not under law, but grace. Not under law, but grace. What's happening with that? Well, it's from our friend Dave Miller, who is over there at apologeticspress.org, and he writes, and, it, and I quote, Concom, oh boys, he starts off with a word I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing properly because I'm a French guy speaking English words here, but uh, concomitant, is, is, is that how that works? My English friends, my English fr speaking friends out there, is that how that works? Concomitant? 
concom- concomitant, concomitant with the culture-wide propensity to celebrate subjectivity, diversity, and antinomianism is the inclination within Christendom to juxtapose law and grace, denigrating the former and extolling the latter. Inherent within this tendency is the distorted definitions that accompany each term. And Brother Miller continues, it says, quote, law is depicted as any restrictive dictatorial restraint placed on human beings. Now, this is typically the description, of course, found within the ocean of Christendom. And this is how they see this. They see a contradiction between the two. You cannot have law and grace together, for they are in opposition. And the reason they are in opposition is because here's how they view the descriptive nature of law, and here's how they view the descriptive nature of grace. And uh, Brother Miller is pointing that out. So they see law as depicted in uh, any and every restrictive dictatorial restraint placed on human beings. And they see grace, they see grace as consequently represented as the opposite of law. In other words, the freedom to be unrestrained by structures, requirements, or commandments. There's no boundaries. No boundaries to it whatsoever. So, the sinister ideology has permeated Western civilization, Brother Miller says in this article, resulting in a dramatic upsurge in lawlessness in society and disrespect for law enforcement. And if you are a reasonable individual with a humble heart to learn, a submissive and honest student of reality, through the inspired penmanship of the Holy Spirit and the principles of Christianity therein. You can understand this because you will know it to make sense. A sense in which all of us should have in common. Common sense. A sense in which this thing we should all have in common. This culture inclination, the article continues, has cut a wide swath across Christendom, opening an avenue by which skeptics can charge the Bible with contradictions, since the same God who authored the biblical law they vilify also authored the, quote, grace to which they cling. The Bible becomes a walking contradiction, and so does the individual or the proponent defender of this here opposition of verbal attack. Law against grace. Grace against law. Why? Because they've changed the descriptive nature of the word, scripturally so. They've gone outside the scripture. They've plucked out words from the Bible and have since rearranged them wrongly to their selfish desires. Of course, to accommodate their traditions and their creeds and their statements of faith and their denominational organized religious mind that they were perhaps given at birth. Perhaps it's an ancestral baton being passed, as it was for me and my family. It's kind of like, here you are. You are born and raised in this religious worldview and tradition. It's where mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and uncles and aunts, we are all of this religious worldview. And uh, how dare you even think outside that box? And, of course, uh, that infected 
that infected and contaminated all other religious denominations that were departures from one of the most ancient religious departures and known as a, a denomination, of course. So, folks are far away from the truth, yet they are firmly convinced in their conscience that they have the truth, yet they are deceived in a lie, and um, they fight against these two words. Grace against law, law against grace, bang, 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 bang. When in fact, scripture, the scriptural definition of law and grace are in, in, in a very well-woven, orchestrated symphony of friendship and fellowship. Can't have one without the other, actually. But don't just take my word for it. Let's uh, allow the Bible to govern our thoughts. If we are indeed seeking to be led by the Spirit, well, that walking by the words of the Spirit, that means we must, of course, follow the instructions and the information of the Bible. That's what that means. Are we ready to do that? Are we humble enough to admit that? Seek that out? So the article continues here. It has dramatically influenced many Christians to sever themselves from a sense of obligation to conform to the external forms of worship characterized in the New Testament in exchange for an endless variety of man-made innovations and inventions that are deemed sincere human expressions that arise from the heart unfettered by a sense of moral obligation. Well, I feel this, and I feel that, and I felt this, and I felt that, and that's why we're doing worship this way, and that's why we're doing worship that way. And um, Yeah, that's an ever-ending oubliette that will never have fulfillment because it has nothing to cling to. It has no foundation. It has no doctrine. It has no... I mean, imagine a society that no longer has law and order and justice. What do you have? Chaos, riot, division, war, death, bloodshed. Well, it's the same thing in the religious world. Once you remove yourself from God's law, which, of course, necessitates grace, grace necessitates law, both of them woven together through the descriptive pen of the Bible. Uh, once you do that, you are left with your own vice, your own mind, your own heart, to which you begin to trust in the realm of subjectivity, and it has no foundation. You just, you're with the wind. Well, I felt God, and I felt the Holy Spirit. No, you didn't. You are firmly convinced you have, but it's not reality. It just isn't. We have convinced ourselves through various religious experiences that what we have felt and seen and smelt and heard and all these things must be true. Well, not necessarily. Not so. And, well... To this conversation, this topical matter, grace and, and law. Uh, the article continues from our friend Dave over at apologeticspress.org. This mentality insists that while the central components of the Christian religion, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, are to remain intact, 
beyond those few essentials, worshipers are free to express themselves in accordance with their own heartfelt, heartfelt motions. Yeah, well, I feel that God's with me, and I feel him with me in me, and I know in my heart that I... No, you're no different than the heathen, the pagan. There's really no difference at all, and I know I've lived through the heathen worldview and the pagan worldview, and I'm, 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 it's the same thing. That's why when you enter into these so-called churches, it feels like if you're out on a Saturday night at the club, Instead of being drunk on alcohol and intoxicated by narcotics, you are intoxicated and drunk by false religious emotional excess. It is. With all love and respect, truly. It just, it, it just is. So the article continues. Indeed, the worshiper is completely free in this regard, as long as no scripture express, expressly forbids the motion. You see, one of, if not the primary justification for this antinomian spirit are those Bible passages that seem on the surface to denigrate law, speaking of it in negative terms as if it is to be treated suspiciously if not brushed aside altogether. For example, Paul declared to Christians in Rome, quote, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Chapter 6, verse 14 there. This statement is interpreted by grace-only advocates as, quote, Since God's grace covers you, you must not worry about law-keeping. Well, I'm a Canadian citizen. I have the freedom and privilege and grace of this nation. So therefore, I don't need to worry about following the law. I can drive through, stop signs, speed when I desire, do anything and everything I so desire. Because, well, I'm a citizen now. There's no law. I've been set free from the law. The mentality and thought, of course, of those who have gone down that canal, that channel that does not lead, of course, to anything sound. The article continues. But in context, Paul was saying that since Christians have, number one, renounced living a lifestyle of sinning without compunction, and two, have obeyed the gospel— they have placed themselves under a grace system, parentheses, that provides forgiveness, rather than a strictly legal system that by its very purpose can only condemn. Verse 15 and 16 explains that just because we are under a grace system that provides forgiveness, we should not continue to live a life of sin like we did before we obeyed. To continue to live a life of sin, like we did before we obeyed the gospel, would be to return to slavery when we were slaves to sin. The proverb would say, a dog returning to his vomit. It's vomit. Gross, huh? Ew. Well, that's what we do, though. When we say, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, and we utilize God's grace 
as an excuse, an excuse of justification to live in sin and to practice sin, to believe sin, to practice sin, to live in sin. No, no, God forbid, Paul would tell his brethren in Rome. God forbid that be the case. A similar verse that is used to bolster the, quote, no law viewpoint is found among Paul's remarks to the Galatian church, quote, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5.18. Keep in mind that Paul's letter to the Romans and Galatians address some of the same subject matter. In both letters, he makes the point that laws from God, whether those given to the Jews through Moses or those given by God to non-Jews from the garden forward, result in condemnation when they are violated. God's laws are intended to provide spiritual life. Romans 7.10, chapter 10, verse 5, Leviticus 18.5, Ezekiel 20, verse 11 and 13. But once God's law is violated, the law does not contain within itself the means by which the lawbreaker may be exonerated. All law can do is condemn you and state the punishment due for breaking law. But that does not mean that God's laws are bad or negative. All of God's laws are positive and good since they usher forth from God's perfect nature. It took God stepping in to provide something in addition to law in order for the sinner to be rescued. So when Paul says we are not under law, he means we are not under law alone. Alone. Embracing the gospel and the grace slash forgiveness available via Christ enables us to be rescued, not from law, but from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13. That is, he took our sins on himself. He absorbed and made provision for satisfying the penalty of the law by dying in our behalf. Quote, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Another misapplied passage is the statement that John set forth in his gospel account, quote, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, John 1.17. This verse is often misinterpreted to mean we are not under law, since grace and truth exclude or eliminate law. This view is incorrect on three counts. Number one, the law of Moses did not exclude truth. The psalmist declared concerning the law of Moses, quote, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. Psalm 119, verse 142 and 160. Number two, God's grace was available throughout the Old Testament. Quote, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, verse 8. Moses found grace in God's sight, Exodus 33:17, and Ezra explained to the returning exiles that, quote, now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God, Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. And the psalmist insisted that the Lord gives grace to those who walk uprightly, Psalm 84, 11. Number three. Christianity does not exclude law. Paul referred to the law of Christ in Galatians 6.2 and the law towards Christ in 1 Corinthians 
James alluded to the law of liberty in James 1.25 and the royal law in James 6.2. Hence, the meaning of John 1.17 lies in the fact that though God's law through Moses was intended for the good of its recipients, Deuteronomy 6.24 and chapter 10 verse 13, nevertheless, that law was never intended to be the solution to sin. From eternity, God intended for the forgiveness of sin, in other words, grace, to be available only via the atoning sacrifice of Christ. In other words, the gospel. There is no opposition with grace and law. Law and grace go together very well. They do. They complement each other. They need to be together in fellowship. And we need to understand that or we'll miss the mark. We'll live lawlessly and sadly have eternal consequences for it. The section of the article here called Definition from our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org, our brother Dave Miller, the author of this article, which of course points to the mind of God in the scriptures. It points to the book that is inspired and the information therein. Friends, please consider subscribing to this channel, giving a thumbs up, leave a comment, share the link far and wide, and please consider supporting. Sign up to addedsouls.locals.com or send donation through PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com or send me a private message. Contact me. We can have a phone call, a video chat, email exchange to answer your concerns or your questions. Okay, back to the article here. Definition, it says, what precisely is the meaning of the word grace? I mean, if we're going to have ourselves a conversation about law and grace, it is necessary in a reasonable, logical path forward to define our terms. What is grace according to the scriptures? Well, the underlining Greek term, C-H-A-R-I-S, has as its essential meaning, favor. Favor. Danker identifies the following shades of meaning for the word, keeping in mind that the italicized words in the following delineations are intended to be the actual definitions. Sample verses are included for each shade, of course. Number one, quote, a winning quality or attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction, graciousness, attractiveness, charm, winsomeness, winsomeness, winsomeness. Luke 4.22, quote, gracious words. Colossians 4.6, quote, let your speech always be with grace. Number two, quote, a beneficent, a beneficent, beneficent disposition towards someone, favor, grace, gracious care, slash help, goodwill. Luke 2.40, quote, the grace of God was upon him. Acts 11.26, quote, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Interesting, interesting verse. Grace, work, law, all playing very well together in the same sandbox here. Number three, practical application of goodwill, parentheses, a sign of, what favor, gracious deed slash gift, benefaction, a, by humans, Acts 24-27, 25-9, quote, wanting to do the Jews a favor, 
1 Corinthians 16, 3, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, gift, gift by God. James 4, 6b and 1 Peter 5, 5, quote, gives grace to the humble. Number four, exceptional effect produced by generosity, favor. 2 Corinthians 8, 1, quote, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, quote, my grace is sufficient for you. Number five, quote, response to generosity or beneficence, thanks, gratitude. Luke 17, 9, quote, does he thank that servant? 2 Timothy 1, 3, quote, I thank God. Hebrews 12, 28, 12, 28, quote, let us have grace. Let us have grace. To repeat, the essential meaning of C-H-A-R-I-S, as reflected in all five of these shades of meaning, is, quote, favor. It's important. We're learning together, aren't we? The next portion of the, the article from our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org, critical clarification. Critical clarification. We went through definition, now we're at critical clarification. Quote, God has given all human beings his law. All human beings are under divine obligation to obey that law. All human beings. However, all human beings have broken that law. Hence, they are all rightly condemned. They have no means within themselves to achieve their own forgiveness. But God, in his infinite goodness, predetermined before he ever even created human beings to devise a plan for them to be forgiven. That plan consisted of sending himself in the person of his son to die and atone for sin. This redemptive scheme is, in fact, the grace of the New Testament, and it has been presented to the world via the gospel. This incredible provision in no way minimizes or eliminates the necessity of human beings devoting themselves to strict obedience to the laws of God. We are under divine obligation to, number one, obey the gospel. Of course, through faith, repentance, oral confession, and water immersion, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, Romans 10, 9, and 10, Galatians 3, 27, so on and so forth. And number two, to live a life of devoted conformity slash obedience to the directives God has given for faithful living. The article continues, the, quote, grace not law mentality has misconstrued these concepts by advocating the notion that grace eliminates law and that those who, quote, live by grace do not consider themselves under compulsion to give close attention to legal detail or to be concerned about law. And they've created words to uh, oppress or suppress the truth in such ways. For instance, uh, legalist. You are a legalist. Well, what's the opposite of legalist? Illegalist? Are you now illegal? Are you saying it's bad to be legal? Now, we understand a branch of thought, of course, from that worldview, and we would all agree with that perspective. We should not think ourselves capable of meritoriously earning our salvation if we do A, B, and C, if you will, because, well, we deserve it, and we tell God, hey, you better save me because I've done A, B, and C. 
or as the uh, contaminants who had crept in unnoticed in the churches in Galatia, seeking to bind circumcision on them and claiming that circumcision is an act of salvation. You have to be circumcised to be saved. To which even the apostle Peter, through fear, had swayed his position with those contaminants. Well, not at all. To that end, yeah, don't be a legalist. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with a Christian being legal to the law of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, His grace, His mercy. There are boundaries. There is doctrine. There is instruction. There is guidance. If Paul would command us to walk by the Spirit, how can we do that? If we void ourselves from the information the Spirit wrote, to which we are to live, walk, according to. Eh, who am I? Just another fool. Right? Okay, so let's keep reading the article here. They have been self-deluded into thinking that if they were to be concerned about law, legal restrictions, they would be guilty of legalism. Dun, 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 dun. And failing to appreciate and live by grace. And again, to that end, we have to be careful also. Because if you think strict adherence to the law, void of the motive and, 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 and upright behavior of the heart towards the law, you're going to miss the mark. There are a great many Christians who know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in all its languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and they can teach it, and they can quote it, and they can speak it. They can preach it, but they're just a noisy gong. They may have faith to move mountains, but they don't have love, and so they become useless. So you have to be careful. Absolutely. I teach it that way. There is a law, the law of Christ. That is true and real. It has boundaries. It is a doctrine, teaching, and it has instruction. And we are to remain within the boundaries of his kingdom as legal citizens. I mean, you're a citizen of a country, aren't you? I am a citizen of Canada. I have to obey the laws of the land. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, a Christian, a member of his body, then there is law to obey. Yet, if you follow the law with the wrong heart, they're in a contradiction of conscience, and you will find yourself missing the mark eternally. Jesus spoke these things to the people in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's good that you follow the law, but your problem is that you're following the law void of the heart. That's why they were saying, well, what's the matter? How dare you call me a murderer? I didn't murder my brother. Yeah, but you hate him in your heart, don't you? Yeah, but still, I'm obeying the law. I'm, I'm, I'm adhering to the strict legality of the law. I have not uh, murdered my brother. Yeah, but it's always been more than that, my dear friend. Jesus was teaching us it's more than that. Yes, you must not murder your brother. You must keep that law. There's no way around that. You must be legal to the law and not murder your brother. But if you hate him in your heart, you're just as guilty as if you murdered him. You won't make it to heaven. Well, I never cheated on my wife. I've never had illicit sexual intercourse with another woman. I've had yeah, but you lust after every tale that passes to, <laughs> on the sidewalk, dude. You're, you're guilty of adultery in your heart. 
We were not commanded to worship God in, in spirit alone or in truth alone. Were we? No. It has to be spirit and truth, the right motive of the heart, the mind, along with the right doctrine, his. If you only have the doctrine and you do not have the spirit, the love and motive of your heart, then you're missing the mark. You become useless, a noisy gong. Oh, it draws attention to itself. And we have a lot of those, don't we? Behind pulpits and elderships doing podcasts. Oh, they know the law. They're quite charming with it. it. Oh, he's a sound gospel preacher. Yeah, but he hates everyone. And he's jealous. And he's bitter. And he's filled with pride and control. And he's divisive. He is Diotrephes. He is Pharisaical. Yeah, but he's a sound gospel preacher and he's doing a lot of good work. No, he ain't. That's the very thing Jesus was rebuking and teaching us. Not only must we obey the law, but it must come from the heart. You can drag your teenagers to church all you want to. They're just empty containers. They're sitting down. They can't stand it. They can't wait till they're old enough to leave church and leave mom and dad. I hate this place. I can't stand it. It's so boring. Why are you here? Because mom and dad told me to. Oh, well. Well, that's okay because you're obeying the law. You're still here. You see how that makes no sense whatsoever. You want them to be there. I want to be here. I want to be here. Not only because mom and dad told me I had to, which is necessary. It's the law. They have to. It's the order of the household. The household says, we go to church on Sunday. You have to come. That's law. But it needs the motive of the heart saying, well, I want to go. So mom and dad don't need to tell me all the time to go. I want to go. I enjoy learning and worshiping God and praising God and being my friends and fellowship there at the church with Christians. Are you with me? Okay, we go back to the article here as it continues. Our friends over at apologeticspress.org. You see, the, the, the problem is they, they get this messed up with the whole law and grace and legalism. They can't put it together. It's a puzzle, right? Okay, put the puzzle, puzzle together. What's the image that starts to, you, you start to see? Jesus, of course. If you're trying to fit pieces where they don't belong, you're never going to see the image of the Christ. The Bible is the box, the puzzle. You open the Bible, you put out all the little pieces there. Now you got to build the puzzle. It takes time. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces, but you can achieve it. I assure you, God wrote a book we can learn, we can understand, you and I. Independently accountable, intellectually capable. The article continues. This sinister ideology is, in fact, dangerous and ultimately deadly to spiritual life. This whole grace without law and laws against grace and if you choose to follow God's law, then you're a legalist and so on and so forth. All that, that denominational word salad, if you will. It's dangerous. It is. It allows someone to live in a high-handed, adulterous union. It allows someone to live in fornication. It allows someone to live in gossip and slander and murder and lies and be safe and sound. Oh, well, I'm, the, I'm on the way to heaven, man. God's grace. God's grace. Well, you're lying to yourself, and there are consequences to that, and most certainly towards those around you. Friends, neighbors, co-workers, family. All right. We keep reading. For example, a person may violate God's law governing marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Genesis 2.24, Malachi 2.16, Matthew 19, verses 1 and 2, all of, all of that, and many more. 
and entangle himself in an unscriptural, in other words, adulterous marriage. You see, the person who has embraced this grace-not-law theology will soothe and comfort himself by believing that, quote, grace enables him to remain in the marriage and God will simply forgive and brush aside his adultery. We've been having a lot of discussions and debates on that one lately. It seems it always rears its ugly head because some brethren are contaminated by the worldly ways of thinking, which is in the ocean of denominationalism, which, while God's grace permits one to live in an adulterous union. Oh, I'm on my 12th marriage. It's fine. Everything's okay. I can marry and divorce when I feel like it. As long as I get wet, everything will be fine. Because, well, water somehow magically erases adultery that I've not repented of, that I'm not going to change. I'm going to go right back to that adulterous relationship. And they are firmly convinced in their conscience. They are firmly convinced. I've spoken to these brethren. They are firmly, firmly stiff-necked convinced in their conscience. They're on the way to heaven and we're the bad guys. We're the legalist. We're the Pharisees. When if they would only soften their hearts, they are the one practicing Pharisaical worldviews. And they are the one binding their own description of grace uh, as a line in the sand that God never, like, it's not even the description of grace in the Bible. Never mind the fact that the law states plainly, the article says, quote, now the works of the flesh are evident. You can know them. You can see them. You can recognize them, which include adultery, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told or also told you in this time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Inspired pen, writing to brethren in the first century, Galatia, chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. They just won't. You cannot say, well, I'm not going to repent of adultery, but I want to be saved from that sin. So therefore, I'm going to obey the gospel, be saved from that sin. And that way, it cancels all divorces. It cancels all the marriages I've had before. It cancels everything, and I can stay with this person. And then they'll want to claim, they'll want to quote Paul all over again and make him contradict himself and his master. What does that? This whole idea. We're under grace now. There's no law. No. You're lying to yourself, and you're headed towards a very, a very terrible end. Change. I had to. What are you, more special than the rest of us or something? You think yourself enlightened or something? What? We're all just trying to love each other, make it to heaven, man. We need God's grace as much as another, but God's grace according to the description of the Holy Spirit and not what we want it to be, fleshly desires. Oh, God's grace allows me to live in sin. That's fine. No. Now. Now. God forbid, Paul would say. And the, quote, sexually immoral shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Oh, fire that preacher. That's just so negative. I mean, I can't stand. Who, who, who brought this visiting? We were, you mean to tell me we were actually considering hiring this man? It's too offensive. He doesn't understand God's grace whatsoever. Who is he again? He's Paul of something. Paul somewhere's. Paul something? Really? Well, anyways, he's not important. I, we can't have that. That's too negative. That's too, that's mean. And it, it's just, it's not going to work. It's not going to do anything right. He, he's, he's, no, he doesn't understand God's grace. We're not going to hire him. 
<laughs> Sound familiar? Well, it is strong language. Why? Because he loves us. God loves us. He wants us to know his grace. We see, we, we don't need to burn in a lake of fire and brimstone. We don't. Really, we don't need to. Like, that's the love of Christ. That's the grace of God. We don't need to die and be found in eternal punishment. We don't. There are conditions that we must qualify to receive the freely given gift of salvation. We don't need to. But see, we, we don't want that. We, we, would, we would much rather still live in sin and think ourselves going to heaven, so therefore God's grace covers it all. No, it don't. God's grace covers a faithful child walking faithfully. The article continues. Grace does not excuse or accommodate a person in his violations of law. It merely enables him to be forgiven of his violations of law, of, of law if he repents. I mean, we understand this concept with everything else out there. The secular world and the heathen and the pagan, they understand this. They really do. And yet some Christians are just completely blinded within the realm of subjectivity in their mind. Oh, in this fog. And I know, I, I mean, I understand it. I used to live there. I understand this. this it's just not, it's not reality. It really isn't. In the world, everything you do has a condition. It has a qualification. You want to become a Canadian citizen? Guess what? There are things you're going to have to do. Yes, I am well aware that in a lawless nation, you can just hop the fence. In a lawless nation that has fallen, murder is now legal. Speaking out against perversion is against the law. You can go to jail doing that. Yeah, but when things are honorable and respected... And just, like those of us who may go to a courtroom, we hope and pray it's an honorable courtroom with an upright, morally upright, just, legal judge. Yeah. We're not going to go walk into a, a, a courtroom where a murder has taken place from one of our family members, and there's the murderer, and he's been found guilty. All the eyewitnesses, all the DNA, everything's there. And, and, and all of a sudden, we, we stand up and tell the judge, you know what, judge? God's grace. You can let him go free. Now, that murderer, he can certainly seek Jesus and find salvation while in jail. But he ain't going out of jail just because he found Jesus. Now, the beauty of God's power is that we can all be together in heaven one day. But the judge is not going to say, well, you know, God's grace and love and tweet, 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 and this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, we're just going to let him go free because that's God's grace. No, there's consequences. Again, the murderer can find God's grace if he seeks it. He can find salvation. But he's not free from the consequence of his murderous ways, which could be capital punishment or life imprisonment. We understand these things. Yet, when we open up the scriptures, somehow... Many of our brethren, oh, they get fruit looped. No. God's grace is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. We want God's grace. We need God's grace. But God's grace according to the description of the scriptures. 
which is well woven with law and the boundaries of his doctrine. The article continues, the, quote, grace, not law viewpoint insists that one may continue to ignore law since we are under grace and law is no longer a relevant issue. Again, how far are you going to go in a nation that is lawless? Not too far, are you? The article continues and says, if grace is defined as freedom from law, it naturally follows that attention to legal detail becomes, at the very least, inappropriate and at most superf- uh, superfluous. Superfluous? <laughs> superfluous. Solomon well described the inevitable outcome of such thinking. Quote, where there is no revelation, in other words, law from God, the people cast off restraint but happy is he who keeps the law. Proverbs 29, 18. Now, can't we just believe those words to be true? I mean, maybe they just mean what they mean. What do you know? The grace, not law mindset would re- reword Solomon's words to say, where there is no law, the people are freed from oppressive restriction to do what feels good, enjoying grace and relief from legalism. What a mess. What a spaghetti bowl. You can't function that way. And that's why you have all these churches who have adapted this worldview within the, the, the snares of the isms. And they're trying to outdo each other with what, what's going to attract people to their church. Man, you could add a circus in there, and some do. You could add a shopping mall in there, and some do. We have some over here, these mega churches. You can go in there and just shop around, buy clothing, have a hamburger. Well, why not? We're under God's grace. So whatever I feel is true, is true. The article from our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org continues the hostility towards law that the grace-only viewpoint engenders robs a person of the tremendous blessings afforded to those who respect and strive to conform to law. Quote, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8. And how true that is. How true that is. If they would only know how good it feels, how peaceful and tranquil and strong in the faith you grow, understanding this truth that is in the Bible about grace and law and how together they work. Psalm 119 extols the grandeur and indispensability of law, standing as a marvelous reminder of the abundant blessings and positive contributions to human life available only via God's laws, commandments, statutes, testimonies, and precepts. Indeed, the law was specifically intended by God to provide life. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, 16, Leviticus 18, verse 5, Psalm 119, verse 50, and Romans chapter 7, Verse 10. This portion of the article called Grace in Romans. 
because we all know that the proponents of this worldview that pins grace against law or law against grace because they've changed the meaning of the descriptive words found in the Bible go to Romans every time. I've sat down in debate, I've sat down in study with one after the other in these denominational webs of disaster, if you will, spiritually speaking, and it's one after the other, it always goes to Romans. And they're firmly convinced that Romans teaches what they believe and have deceived themselves to believe when in fact it actually refutes. <laughs> it's a matter of the heart. Are you humble to learn? And again, of all these denominationalists, of all these individuals we've sat down with, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, a great many of them are kind people. They are decent, upright individuals who are morally right. And we have uh, 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 friendly-like conversations and I love them. I'm commanded to. They're my neighbors. So the attack and refutation here is not on character per se, because they are morally upright, and they are decent human beings, and they are kind. The problem is what they believe. What they believe is wrong. It's erroneous. And it's helping people go to eternal consequence. It's facilitating that path. And it has no boundary or law to say this is wrong doctrinally. They don't. I had to learn that. Again, you somehow more special than the rest of us? You better than the rest of us? You think yourself enlightened more than the rest of us because you claim you felt the Holy Spirit and you felt this and felt that? Well, how special are you? Is God now somehow the respecter of persons? Somehow God loves you more? No. No, you didn't. The things you claim you felt is a deception of the mind. It's a manipulation of the personality. And I'm telling you, some of these pastors and reverends and popes and priests and preachers and teachers, they know how to use that to their advantage. Sadly, even in the Lord's church, they creep in as these wolves in sheep's clothing. I assure you, we've witnessed our share of those kinds. Through deep sorrow, mind you, the wisdom came. So they go to, to Romans, don't they? The article, of course, will address this. We move forward. Consider subscribing, liking, sharing, give a comment. That kind of stuff really helps the ministry move forward because there's people out there just like you and I. And perhaps we're interested in this kind of information. The Book of Romans provides the New Testament canon with a clear thesis, statement of God's scheme of redemption. The gospel is God's powerful means for saving people, chapter 1, verse 16. The term for grace, C-H-A-R-I-S, occurs 25 times in the book. Twice it is used by Paul to refer to his apostleship that was bestowed upon him by God, quote, the grace given to me, chapter 12, verse 3, chapter 15, verse 15, Four times the word is used in its generic sense of, quote, favor with Paul expressing his desire that the grace of Jesus and God would be with the Romans. Chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 16, verse 20, verse 24. And you can compare that with Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. And God extending his, quote, favor by bestowing spiritual gifts on the Roman Christians. Chapter 12, verse 6. The other 19 occurrences of the word in Romans, the vast majority, refer specifically to the gospel. Consider the following chart that catalogs the meanings of C-H-A-R-I-S in the book of Romans. And here, for those listening strictly to the audio session of this podcast, you have a box. And in this box, you have various modules 
of description. On top, it says 25 occurrences of grace in Romans. And then you have four categories, verses, gospel forgiveness, favor, and number four, apostleship. And in verses, the verses module and section of this box, you have the chapter and verse. In the gospel forgiveness side, you have the check marks. In the favor, you have the check marks. In apostleship, you have the check marks. And the article moves forward and says, as Greek lexicographer Joseph Thayer explained, quote, the New Testament writers use X-A-R-I-S preeminently of that kindness by which God bestows favors even upon the ill-deserving and grants to sinners the pardon of their offenses and bids them accept of eternal uh, and bids them accept of eternal salvation through Christ. So to repeat, the grace of the Bible is God making it possible for people to be forgiven of their sin, but they must meet the preconditions of that forgiveness by conforming to the instructions, the prescriptions God has given to receive that forgiveness. Meaning, you cannot meritoriously earn your salvation, as Paul would have told the brethren in Ephesus. Stop going back to the law thinking that salvation is in the law. It's not in the law, it's in the lawgiver, which does not void us of obeying his law, but rather understanding the source of salvation is not in your meritorious act of obeying the law, but rather knowing Jesus and loving Jesus. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Now, how can that be if grace is against law and law is against grace? Well, it can't be. It's a walking contradiction. But when you understand that both work together and our submissiveness to simply do as God commanded us, not because we're meritoriously earning it, but because we love him and we seek the freely given gift of salvation, then my dear friends, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus would tell the thief who repented, who repented. And people must maintain a sincere, attentive desire to comply with God's laws and to regularly repent and seek forgiveness when they make mistakes along the way. Herein lies the definition of what it means to, quote, walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7. So the article finishes off here with concluding observation. And we're going to read this. Perhaps the worst feature of the grace-only doctrine is its blatant, inherent manifestation of disrespect for God himself. After all, who gives us spiritual law? Who authored the law of Moses? Who provides us with the, quote, law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2? Well, any denigration of law, any negative representation of biblical law is an aspiration directed against God. No wonder Paul declared it, uh, or no wonder Paul declared in no uncertain terms that, quote, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good, Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Indeed, we would not even know what offends God, what is sin, if he had not given us law, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Law is never depicted in scripture as somehow bad or negative or undesirable or oppressive. God's commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. They are not too hard for us. Indeed, they are like sweet honey to our mouths and far more precious than pure gold. 
Psalm 19, verse 10. May we join wholeheartedly and genuinely with the psalmist in his declaration, quote, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 97. And that brings a conclusion to this article from our dear friends over at apologeticspress.org. Apologeticspress.org. And therein, some great truth and a like-minded judgment. My studies have revealed the same common salvation. We need God's grace. We need His law. You can't have one against the other. You just can't. And sadly, again, many brethren miss this mark. They either cling too, uh, too strongly to His grace, void of His law, or to His law, void of His grace. And you don't have yourself a balanced, seasoned path forward, the narrow gate, which is a difficult one, but yet the one that leads to be with our Lord and Master eternally. And that's why some brethren miss it. They think as long as this brother is strong and passionate and condemning everyone with the law that he so well is versed in, he's fine and he's sound. No, he isn't. He's a problem. He's a brute. And within that realm, it corrupts him because he has no love. He has no care. He has no ability to. He's voided himself from that. We have to be balanced with both of them, God's grace and God's law. That's what is fair. That's what is right. And that is indeed the information of the scriptures. Friends, AddedSouls.com is the website. Please consider signing up to AddedSouls.locals.com. That uh, location helps uh, the work move forward. You can support there and have exclusive content. You can send donation through PayPal, AddedSouls at gmail.com. Uh, we labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada. We've been here for, uh, well, born and raised. It's our culture. Uh, and uh, we'd love for you to get involved. You can check out our Facebook page, uh, East Coast Church of Christ, or the .com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. Reach out to me. We can have a conversation. I can answer questions or concerns. Everything is transparent, upright, decent, honest, and uh, genuine. Not perfect. We still try to thrive for that one, right? Following Jesus, who is perfect. But uh, we certainly want to rightly handle the text and uh, do what is appropriate. All right, well, that'll bring a close to our session. Uh, stay focused, stay positive. Check out the itinerary. We go live from Monday to Friday. Uh, and uh, there's themes to each day. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I think that's all I have to say for now, from what I can think of anyways. Yeah. All right. Peace out.